morning, everybody. Clearly, we all survived Snowmageddon or whatever they were going to call it. You know, I've never heard so much talk about the weather as the last few days. Uh, a couple weeks ago, I was in Southern California, and I was talking to... <laughs> sounds pretty good right now, I know. I was talking to a young woman who's only lived in California her whole life, and she had the audacity to start describing to me the four seasons that they experience. And she was talking about, you know, the nuances of 10 degrees difference between one or the other, or what blooms. And I just wanted to say, you have no idea what you're talking about. Because I've lived in the Midwest all my life. And generally speaking, I do love the four seasons. I wish winter was about four weeks instead of four months. But I think that there's beauty and there's wonder in every single one of the seasons of nature. Uh, yesterday, the snow was stunning. Uh, through the ages, poets and philosophers have actually used the seasons in nature as a metaphor for the seasons of our soul. And the basic idea is that our lives are a journey, kind of a cycle, and we go through periods of hope and despair, of darkness and light, of loss and gain. And in every season, if we pay attention, there are lessons to be learned. Now this comes straight out of the Bible, actually. I want to ask you to take the Bible in the seat back in front of you and go to the book of Ecclesiastes, which is page 462 uh, in your Bible, kind of in the middle there, page 462. This uh, book was written by Solomon, uh, supposedly the wisest man who ever lived, and uh, it is quite poetic, what we're about to read. Chapter 3, um, verse 1. Every phrase here, I think, is rich with meaning. So let's read this. There is a time for everything and a season for every activity under heaven. A time to be born and a time to die. A time to plant and a time to uproot. A time to kill and a time to heal. A time to tear down and a time to build. A time to weep and a time to laugh. A time to mourn and a time to dance. A time to scatter stones and a time to gather them. A time to embrace and a time to refrain. A time to search and a time to give up. A time to keep and a time to throw away. A time to tear and a time to mend. A time to be silent and a time to speak. A time to love and a time to hate time for war and a time for peace. We're all going to experience the four seasons of the soul at various times in our lives. And the seasons of the soul don't have a predictable length like the seasons of nature. I mean, you could be in a season of summer for several years. You could be in winter for a month or longer. There isn't a predictable length to them. But each one does have a primary emotion. We're in a series here on emotions, and, and this is a clue to know what season you're in. It's one of the overarching emotions of that particular season. And as I describe these, I think you're going to remember times in your life uh, when you were in one of these seasons. And I'm also going to ask you at the end to identify what season you think God has you in right now. So let's start with fall. The season of fall in nature here in Chicago has been spectacular this year. I think it's over now. It just kind of ended. But it was awesome. I love the month of October with the orange and red maple leaves and with pumpkins and football and the sounds of 
Halloween, trick-or-treaters. We had 30 bags of candy we gave out at trick-or-treaters. But as we put on our sweaters and start to rake the leaves, we have a small sense of foreboding because change is in the air and we know that winter is coming. Author Parker Palmer puts it this way, autumn is a season of great beauty, but it is also a season of decline. The days grow shorter, the light is suffused, and summer's abundance decays toward winter's death. He says, my delight in the autumn colors is always tinged with melancholy. When it comes to our souls, fall is a season of transition. You know, there's times in our lives when everything's going kind of quite smoothly, and then all of a sudden, our situation is altered, and we find ourselves feeling a little shaky. We're all creatures of habit, more than we care to admit. There's really two kinds of life change. One is triggered by external events. So, for example, moving, a job change, a new relationship, or a new health challenge. But other transitions we all go through are more developmental, like adolescence, remember that? Uh, early adulthood, midlife, the empty nest for some, and then aging. The truth is, the change happens, and it must happen. William Bridges is one of the most respected authors on the subject of change, and I highly recommend his two books on transitions. Here's how he defines transition. It's the natural process by which one dies to a new life. All of us are going to go through change. But there's a deeper work when we go through transition so that we can learn and grow. He has uh, described three phases of transition. This is very helpful to those in a season of fall because it makes what you're experiencing feel normal and actually somewhat predictable. These three phases are endings, then the neutral zone, and finally, new beginnings. We can't do well in a season of transition unless we recognize that something is over and we have to be willing to let it go. And this is excruciating. We don't want to admit what's over now. Bridges says in the endings phase, we feel very disoriented. Our entire identity is actually at risk. When people are in the endings phase, they might say something like this. I don't even know who I am anymore without my job. Or when we broke up after two years, I felt so lost and alone. So what do you think the primary emotion for the season of fall might be? Remember sachet last week? Jarrett taught us about sachet. What do you think the primary emotion is in fall? I heard an S word. Scared? Yes. Anxiety, fear, scared. There's this tentativeness. Because rarely do people warn us about the loss side of making a change. We have to remember that endings are like experiences of dying. They challenge our basic sense of who we are. My most recent time of fall was about five years ago, and it lasted for a couple years. I resigned from a job that I had had for about 25 years. I just sensed from God this sort of restless voice that it was time for me to jump into the unknown, to prepare for a new season. But in doing so, I felt like my entire foundation and identity was at risk. You know, we like to think, oh, I'm not so attached to a certain job or position. Um, but you know what? I found that at least for me, my identity had been connected to that role for so long. And giving it up made me feel lost. The second phase of transition is this dreaded neutral zone. It's the time in between. 
This is a time of emptiness where we can't clearly see what's happening and what's coming next. I love these words from Marilyn Ferguson. She says, it's not so much that we're afraid of change or so in love with the old ways, but it's that place in between that we fear. It's like being in between trapezes. You've left go of one, you haven't quite grabbed the other. It's Linus when his blanket is in the dryer. What a sad picture. There's nothing to hold on to. The neutral zone has been described by one pastor I know as, as the land between. You're no longer where you were, and you're not yet where you're going. You are suspended. And during the season of fall, I think we have to ask ourselves some key questions. First of all, what is it time for me to let go of? What is over now? This requires us to soberly assess and name specifically what we must loosen our grip on and accept as being over. We're never going to be able to embrace new beginnings if we're still holding too tightly to what was. Another recent change for me and my husband has been the empty nest. Our girls are both done with college, they're working here in Chicago and sharing an apartment. And I've had to let go of the idea that they will always be at home in their rooms, sleeping where they belong, that they will be laughing with us over dinner, with me always completely aware of where they're going and why and who they're with. That era is over. That ship has sailed. And I need to admit the reality, to grieve it appropriately, and then be open and ready for the potential joys of parenting in this new season. If I refuse to admit what is now behind us, I will never be able to fully release my daughters into adulthood. The third question I should ask myself in a time of transition is what am I learning? I mentioned that in my job transition, I was struggling with identity. And what, what I had to learn, and it took many, many, many months, but what I learned over time is that my identity should not be grounded in a job or in any role that I play being a wife or a mother or daughter or a friend, fundamentally those things are not who I am. So here's where God has taught me to ground my new identity. Who am I? I am a treasured daughter of the Most High God. That is who I am. Everything else is on the surface, but that is where my identity needs to be. And that brings me to a final question when you're in the season of fall. Who am I trusting? You know, everyone in the planet goes through change. The difference for followers of God is that we can choose to trust him in this. In fact, the very essence of the Christian faith is to trust God, not just when things are steady and going well, but when the winds of change start blowing, to be able to hold on to him. Look at these verses from Psalm 121. The Lord will watch over your life. Someone is watching over you and me. He will watch over your coming and going, both now and forevermore. He sees every transition you're in. And over time, our trust bank with God grows as we see how faithful he is in each one of our transitions. But there is another season that requires us to trust on an even deeper level, and that's the season of winter. About 10 days ago now, families and friends of those who were killed in Paris, and then even more recently in Africa, received the most shocking of news. Here in Chicago, we hear about senseless murders on our streets. And every time you hear about this kind of loss, our hearts go out to the people who are grieving. Winter is a season of loss. And its primary emotion is sadness. I doubt any of us will live our lives without at least one season of winter. Think about 
a time of loss for you. Maybe it was a long time ago. Maybe for some of you, it is right now. Maybe you lost a job or a good friend or a close family member passed away. More people than ever in our country are struggling with depression. And whether it's financial difficulties or health concerns, worries about a child, or as one of my friends who has this depression described to me, just this overwhelming cloud of darkness and despair that she can't even begin to explain. And when we find ourselves in a season of winter, it's hard to imagine any other reality. It's hard to imagine that sometime the clouds might break and the sun might burst through with hope. And the last thing people want when they're in a season of winter are simplistic phrases or quick solutions offered by others. Life just isn't that simple and you can't just snap out of it. You know, you and I tend to be surprised when our life takes a bad turn. But the truth is, God never told us that our lives would be without pain. In fact, Jesus said, in this life, you will have trouble. In this life, you will have trouble. The key question in a season of winter is how will we respond to the pain and loss? Some people go through difficult times and they feel farther away from God than ever before. In fact, you may be angry at God and that's a secondary emotion with the season of winter. It comes right on the heels of it because you might be angry thinking, God, why would you allow this to happen? Why is this happening? I thought you were loving. And we're very confused, and those feelings are very understandable. In fact, I believe that we have a God who's a strong God, and he can handle our anger, and he wants us to come to him openly and honestly and pour it out to him. So first, in winter, we need to mourn the loss. It doesn't do us any good to try to push down our sadness, deny it's there, instead, be like David in the Psalms. Jarrett talked about this last week. David just lets it rip. He pours out himself to God and he says, God, where are you? Are you hiding? Are you hiding? My soul is downcast. I think you have forgotten about me, God. It might be helpful if you're in a season of winter to actually write a letter to God. Express your brokenness, your sadness, your anger. For some people, a time of winter is a time when they draw closer to God than ever before. And I've seen this too. People will say, I have never prayed so fervently. And you know what? I think these times of loss cause many to run into the arms of a loving Heavenly Father and to say, God, you are my refuge and strength. You are a very present help in times of trouble. And so if you find yourself in a season of winter, I urge you to run toward God and not away. Run towards the one who promised in the Psalms that he has collected every tear you've ever cried. He sees it, he knows you're in pain, and he wants to be with you in it. One of the most treasured verses in the Psalms says, the Lord is close to the brokenhearted, and he saves those who are crushed in spirit. When you're in a season of loss, it can also be very tempting to isolate yourself. I'm not sure why we do this. I think we don't want to burden someone else, or maybe we're afraid we're going to get too emotional. What if I cried when I talked about it? Or maybe we don't want to show that we're angry at God. But isolation is the exact opposite of what we should do when we're in a season of winter. I would encourage you instead to move toward community, 
God created us to need one another, to support one another. I haven't experienced the kind of deep loss that many of you have or that some of you are experiencing right now. But I know that in my times of sadness, like a couple years ago when my father, who I adored, uh, passed away, I can't imagine walking through those times without the people close to me. My husband, my close friends, they held me, they cried with me, they prayed with me. And it wouldn't have been easy at all to navigate without a person representing the love of God to me. Like someone once said, it's Jesus with skin on. It's someone right there with you. If you have the privilege of walking alongside someone in the season of winter, resist the tendency that we all have to want to fix it or explain it or somehow get them to just, don't worry, be happy. The best thing we can actually do is listen well. Listen well. Hug them if that's appropriate. Pray with them. Sometimes just the simple words, I am so sorry. I'm just so sorry, is deeply meaningful to someone in winter. And I urge those of you in winter to trust that spring will come. One day. One day spring will come. It may not be tomorrow. It may not be soon. But one day the clouds will lift, and you need to hang on to that hope. Winter doesn't last forever. Now, we've had two winters in nature recently, the last two, actually, that have been absolutely horrific. And in March and April, I honestly thought God forgot about us and maybe spring wasn't going to come this time. And then, and then, you see your first daffodil poke itself out of the ground. You hear the first robin sing, like, it's back. Spring is here. God does it every year. And he will do it with your season of the soul as well. I don't know when, but one day, spring will come. Well, those first two seasons are clearly the hardest, and some of you are wondering why you came to church today. This is really depressing. But the next two are a lot more fun, okay? So let's talk about spring. You know, if you live around here, all of you do, I think, unless you're visiting, uh, you know that when you've come through a horrific winter and a, and a messy spring, I mean, it's, it's just exhilarating when it finally gets to be nice outside. I absolutely love spring. And after winter, I think the joy is just magnified for all of us. Spring, in terms of the soul, is a time of new beginnings. It's that feeling of getting a second chance, of starting something new. It might be a new relationship, a new kind of study or work, a new hobby. Maybe even, for some of you, a new pursuit of spiritual things, where you start to investigate, what would a relationship with God really be like? The primary emotion of spring is excitement. I have a friend here at Soul City named Sam Evans, and he is right in the thick of se spring season of the soul. He and his wife, Laura Lynn, just bought a house not far from our church. They're expecting their third child, and two months ago, Sam started a brand new job. I talked to him a few days after his new job, and he said it felt like the first day of school. You know, a new route to work, a new schedule, new people, new office, new team, all of it. And some days, he says, I think, yes, this was exactly the right decision for my profession. And other days, he thinks, what was I thinking? And that's what I'm learning about spring. It can be challenging to truly embrace the new. 
Most of us in a season of spring, it's like two steps forward, three steps back. It's like those little ducklings, those wobbly ones who are just learning to walk, trying to get into the water. If you're in a season of spring, I urge you to boldly step into the new. God is in the business of renewing you and me. The Apostle Paul tells us if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone. The new has come. Are there any new beginnings in your life these days? If so, don't allow Satan to quench your enthusiasm. He's really good at this. Here's what the evil one wants to do. He wants to fill you with doubt and anxiety about what is new. He wants you to go right back to winter. He wants you to be sad and in pain. May the Holy Spirit help you drown out that voice and enable you to hold on to the hope of spring, no matter how small your dose of hope might be. And finally, we want to wrap up looking at the season of summer. You know, for Chicagoans, this is just the best. I don't know what you said, but oh my goodness. We're talking about ice cold lemonade and frisbee on the sand and picnics and barbecues and parades, bike rides, ice cream cones, fireworks, mini golf, art fairs, and flip flops. It's awesome. And when you're a student in the Midwest, if you grew up around here, is there any better day in the universe than the last day of school when you come bursting out knowing that you have three whole months of summer? So what is a summer season of the soul? It's the season of abundance. And the primary emotion is joy. I have found that if I'm not careful with the season of summer in nature, I might miss it. Like sometimes I get to Labor Day, and I think, oh wow, there's so many things that I wanted to do uh, this summer. Summer is the only season that we can easily miss, and this is also true for the summer season of the soul. Now, if you're in a time of fall, of transition, you can't miss that, it's totally obvious. Winter is a major wake-up call, and spring is exhilarating, and you're like giddy in spring. But in summer, some of us are in a season of abundance right now, and we don't even know it. It could be that several years down the road, you'll look back at this era of your life and you'll think, oh wow, those were the good old days. Life is very good and full and wonderful for many of you in this room today. And we could miss it. We could get lulled into thinking it's normal and take it for granted and fail to treasure the gifts of summer. You know what happens if we do that? We become joyless automatons someone who just survives from day to day without any vitality or gratitude. So there's two key ingredients for doing a summer season of the soul right. The first one is celebration. Celebration is the intentional focus on the goodness of God, usually manifested by some kind of party or festival. Now if we open our Bibles, particularly the Old Testament, I invite you to do this sometime, take a look at the theme of celebration that's woven through the story of the children of Israel. God doesn't just, this is how we picture him sometimes, sort of with arms crossed, tolerating the party. That is not the case. God initiates, actually commands the feasts and festivals and parties. I'm gonna show you one verse to support that, but there's many. This is from the book of Deuteronomy, and he's instructing his children how to use the money in Jerusalem for their feast. God said, use the silver to buy whatever you like cattle, sheep, wine, or other fermented drink, dot, 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 fill in whatever your favorite is there. <laughs> it is in the Bible, I promise you. 
or anything you wish, then you and your household shall eat there in the presence of the Lord your God and rejoice. Celebration is God's plan to keep us from taking ourselves too seriously. And it also gives us perspective so that we can laugh at ourselves. There is a time to mourn, but there is also a time to dance. There is a time to weep, but there's also a time to laugh. Engage in activities you love with people that you love. I think followers of Jesus should be known as the most joyful, vital, life-giving, fun people on the planet. The other key to seizing the season of summer is gratitude. Because there's a danger when life is going well that sometimes we take credit for it. We think, I must be really smart. I must be good at my job to be get, getting paid like this or whatever. And we need to remember the source of every good and perfect gift. We're in a season of Thanksgiving right now, and no matter what season of the soul you're in, I hope that you are quick to give thanks to God. Jesus told the story once of 10 lepers who were all healed. He healed them all. And nine of them ran away, and only one of them came back and said thank you. God has strewn gifts all over this universe. And I think he's waiting to see who will give thanks, who will notice, and who will give thanks. I take a Pilates class a few times a week, and my Pilates teacher is the most joyful and grateful person I've ever come across in my life. Her name is Anne. And uh, she starts teaching at 5 a.m. I do not take that class, but she does start teaching at 5 a.m. And uh, we'll, be, we'll be in my 7 o'clock class. We will be sometimes doing an exercise with one leg, and it's really getting sore, and I'm feeling the pain. And then she'll say, okay, let's switch to the other leg. Aren't we grateful we have another leg? And I'm thinking, not at the moment, but yeah. And she'll say, um, she drives in the dark to get to class, and so she'll say, did anybody see the moon? It was awesome. And I'm thinking, I'm just driving in my car half asleep, you know. She's so grateful, I wanna be more like her. And I wanna challenge all of us, no matter what season we're in, to be expressing our gratitude to God for very specific things. When we wake up in the morning to say, thank you, God, I'm breathing. Thank you for the gift of another day. When we're having breakfast, thank you, God, for these beautiful raspberries on my cereal. Thank you for the eyes of my roommate or my spouse or my child who I treasure. If you have a job, thank you, God, that I can pay the bills. Thank you for that. If you have a place to lay your head on the pillow and mostly have meals to eat, you are richer than the huge majority of people on this planet. Say thank you, God. Thank you, thank you, thank you. So whatever season you're in today, God has lessons for you to learn. Now there is a danger that we can become so absorbed in our own season that we fail to pay attention to the season that someone close to us might be in. In fact, someone you live with, or certainly people in the row that you're sitting in, are likely in a different season than you are. And it's important to be empathetic and to pay attention to the season they're in. The Bible teaches us to rejoice with those who rejoice, celebrate with those who are celebrating, and to mourn with those who mourn. There's an art to that, to be able to do both of those things. We're gonna close our gathering a little bit differently today. I'm gonna to invite you to watch a scene. It's an encounter between two friends.
And as you watch, I encourage you to continue reflecting on what season does God have you in right now? And what season are the people close to you in? After the scene and a beautiful song, I'm going to close our time in prayer. Shut up. May! What are you doing here? I'm just picking something up for my mom. How dare you come into town and not tell me? Uh, I didn't really broadcast You it. went later. Yeah, like a year ago. I love it. And you, let me see. I mean, I saw it on Instagram, but let me see unfiltered. <laughs> it's his grandmother's <gasps> stone and then the rest we designed. Oh my gosh, you haven't even met Evan. That's so insane. Well, not insane. You live in Seattle. <laughs> How's Seattle? Trendy. Good to be back in the dowdy Midwest. Well, you're certainly not dowdy. You look so nice. Oh, I have to go to this thing. I just stopped by to pick up food for Evan, who's meeting me there. I'm actually bringing him the French toast slam. Oh, the slam. Wow. Do you remember that summer? Which summer? We lived here every summer. Yes, but that one summer we discovered the slam. Ugh, I gained like 15 pounds that summer. That was after. After college, both of us living in our yeah. parents' basements, doing nothing with our lives, except eating French toast. Mm -hmm. This was our spot, Dudley's Diner. I haven't been back here since Jen's wedding. We came at like midnight, remember? We were insatiable. Well, the word reception implies that there will be a meal. If it's going to be light fare, say light fare. Why even bother paying for hors d'oeuvres? Like, why not just pass out granola bars and call it a day? <laughs> <laughs> that was like, what, two years ago? Sounds right. Man, time flies. <laughs> hey, I was in Seattle. I called you. Really? Yeah, I was about to start going around asking people if they knew where Ella Huntington lived. Oh, there are very few people who could have helped you. Not a friendly place? I just don't have any friends. <laughs> You're so silly. <laughs> I miss you. We haven't been good about... Oh, no, I'm so bad about But I see your people. pictures and stuff, so I feel like I'm up to date. Right, right. I mean, that's basically... Yeah. <laughs> So I what are you doing in, in town? No, sorry, what? <laughs> what did you say? I just said I saw your book in Seattle. I was in a bookstore and I said to whoever I was with, or I said to the lady who worked there, my old friend wrote this book. Aw, did you read it? When's the paperback coming out, do you think? <laughs> I'll get you a copy. And I can actually give you the manuscript of the next one. I talk about your backyard in one of the essays. Really? The next one? What's that about? Another memoir. Another memoir? Yep. Wow. I don't know if I have enough memories for two books, <laughs> right? But you do. <laughs> Sometimes I can't believe people want to hear about my trip to India. People who can't go there. Or me and Evan, like, singing while we clean out the fridge. <sighs> well, I think people want to know it's possible. <laughs> <laughs> that a life of such delight is... Do you actually sing while you clean out the fridge? We do. It's disgusting. I don't understand it. <laughs> That's awesome, May. I'm really happy for you. Thanks. It got good reviews, but it hasn't been selling as well as it should have. I don't know, it's stressful. I'm actually going to a book signing now. Oh, I should let you go. Yeah, I should probably make my way. They want me to build up my followers or whatever, make sure there can be a next, next book. Mm, that does sound stressful. But you're doing it. I mean, you're doing what you sat here at Dudley's and said you were going to do. <laughs> yeah, I guess. It's crazy, actually. I mean, I sat here for years listening to you talk about wanting to be a writer, and now I run into you, a writer. It's really lucky. Thanks. Or not just lucky. I mean, you're obviously working no, hard. No, I know what you meant. And you're right. I am lucky. <laughs> well, you got to go sign books. I got to get this back to my mom. Oh, tell her I say hi. I will. It was so good to see you. Yeah, next time you're in Seattle. I'll let you know. It'd be fun to plan a visit. Definitely. It's so good to see you. Hey, I, I did hear about... Uh, my mom ran into Mrs. Hawkins, who had talked to one of your dad's golf buddies, and... Anyway, 
I'm so sorry about your parents. <laughs> I guess that was a while ago now. Thanks. Yeah, it was a year ago they separated, but they didn't make it official until uh, Friday. Oh, wow, so that's why you're here. Just came back to be with my mom. That's kind of you. I guess. We've just been watching West Wing. <laughs> I bet it means a lot to have you around. I don't know. I'm literally the embodiment of their relationship, so I don't know how helpful my face really is. <laughs> oh, I think your face is really helpful. But, yeah, that must be so weird. It is. Weird. Or probably something larger than weird. Ever the wordsmith. Weird sort of lost its meaning. Yeah, well, is there a word for trying to get your mom to eat something? Or a word for trying not to throw up when you walk in your childhood bedroom? Oh, Ella, I can't imagine. But it's just going to take time, right? Someday things will be okay again. Yeah. I don't know, actually. I have good days at work, and I try to like go to cool stuff that's happening in the city. But underneath it, or over it, this is still true. I'm, I'm scared it will always be the truest thing. Anyway, sorry, you gotta go. <sighs> I wish I didn't. I'll just let Evan know I'm on my way. Yeah, his slam's gonna be cold. <laughs> <laughs> I want to hear more about all of this. If I call you, will you call me back? Yeah, yeah. Will you really? At Jen's wedding, I remember you saying things were starting to go bad with your parents, and then we talked a little after that. And then what happened? I guess after they started to go bad, they did go bad, and now they just sort of are. <laughs> I never had anything new to report. I didn't expect you to. How many sad phone calls do you get? I'm sorry if I made you feel like there was a quota. I'm not a fun friend anymore. And I don't know when I will be. Do you want to grab this table? What? You got to go sign books. There are other authors there. I'm hardly the main event. But you need to build up your followers. Will you like my Facebook page? Sure. Boom, I built up my followers. <laughs> you really don't have to stick around. It's done. I have the flu. <laughs> Game over. They don't make French toast in Seattle. Well, they do. It's just like buckwheat. <laughs> so you and your mom still watching West Wing, huh? Does she still pause and rewind every time they talk too fast? No, I'm telling you, that's how strange it's been. You know, that always used to drive me crazy. And I'm like, Mom, do you need me to back that up? She just lets it play. <laughs> so weird. Doesn't sound like her. No, and she doesn't. God is in the business of transforming you and me through every one of the seasons. He designed these seasons both in nature and in our soul. And he wants to be with us in every one of them. I'd like to lead a prayer time and I'm gonna ask you to do something a little bit risky. Whether you're sitting in the auditorium or you're in the corner classroom or another overflow space, I'm gonna ask you to stand in a moment according to what season you think God has you in right now so that we can pray for you. Remember, there's no right or wrong season to be in. We're just all in these at various times in our lives. So let's start with the season of fall. If you're in a time of transition, if things are a little shaky, if you are even maybe suspended in that land between, would you please stand to your feet so we can pray for you? 
corner classroom as well. Just stand if you're in a season of fall. Lots of change going on. Okay, let me pray for you. Gracious Father, you know the story of every person standing right now. There's nothing changing in their life that you aren't fully aware of. And I pray, first of all, that you would help them to let go of what is over now, to loosen their grip, to trust you even if they're suspended in a place where it all looks foggy and they're not sure what's next. God, I pray that they will choose to trust you during this time and know that you have a path for them and that you haven't forgotten about them. I pray that we will learn the lessons that we need to learn in a season of fall and thank you that you are with us in it. In Jesus' name, amen. You can take a seat. The hardest season to admit that we're in is the season of winter, and I want to ask you to be brave enough, if you're in a time of any kind of loss or sadness, if you'd be willing to stand to your feet, both here and in the other room. Stand to your feet if you're in winter. I know there's some of you. Yes, thank you for standing. If you're sitting anywhere near someone who's standing, either in this room or the other one, would you please put your hand on their shoulder or aim your arm toward the person closest to you who's standing in winter as a gesture of saying, we're with you. We want to support you in this. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you promise to be close to the brokenhearted. And I pray that those who are standing right now would sense your presence in a powerful way. God, I pray that they will know without a doubt that you have not abandoned them. I pray that they will be free to express to you authentically when they feel angry and sad and confused. And Father, I pray that they would feel their feelings all the way down, all the way down, and seek community. May they have the courage to come alongside someone else and say, I am really struggling, and I could just use a listener. And I pray, Father, that they will not hide from you or others during this time. And finally, I pray that they would trust that one day spring will come. We don't know when, God, but help us hold on to that hope. For you are the God of all comfort and the God of hope. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Take your seat. Do we have any new beginnings going on these days? How many of you are in a season of spring? Stand to your feet if you're starting something new we can celebrate with you. It's awesome. Okay, let me pray for you. Gracious Father, we know that you're delighted by the new beginnings in these folks' lives. And I pray that as tentative as it might feel, that they will boldly head into the new. I pray that they will grab on and, and trust that you're in this. I pray that they won't want to run backwards to what's comfortable and predictable, but they will say, God, I'm going to believe that you have something for me in this new season. So no matter what it is, whether it's a new relationship or a new job or a new city just moving here or a new relationship even with you, God, I pray that they will grab on and that they will celebrate the joy and exhilaration of this season. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, if you haven't stood yet, that must mean you're in summer. Some of you don't even know you're in summer, but you are. So stand to your feet so we can rejoice with you. And we're going to rejoice with you, not with gritted teeth. We really are happy with you, for you. We are. You give us hope, you know? Okay, let's pray for these folks. Father, thank you for summer, both in nature and in our lives. I thank you for all your good and wonderful gifts. 
And I pray that each person standing will first of all celebrate and that their celebration will be contagious, that they will give the rest of us great hope. And I also pray, Father, that they won't forget to be grateful, that not just this week, but every week, every day, every moment, really, God, they would offer up prayers of thanksgiving to you because you are outrageously gracious and good, and you have filled our lives with so much more than we could ever deserve or expect. Thank you for summer, and I pray that however long this goes, these folks would not only embrace summer, but they would also be empathetic and sensitive to others who are in a different season and be a strong stability for them and a picture of hope. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, don't sit. Everybody else stand and join as we wrap things up here. First, I want to mention that if this message has stirred up a desire in you to pray with someone, we have some members of our prayer team who will be down front as we do every week, and they would love to pray for you. We mentioned that we're in a season of Thanksgiving, and uh, I just hope you have a fabulous Thanksgiving. I'm cooking for over 20 people, so be very afraid. It's really scary, 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 but uh, it's happening. Um, but I want to let you know that there's a little photo booth out in the lobby. If you want to get a Thanksgiving photo taken of you and your friends or family, um, feel free to go out and do that. Next weekend, our Pastor Jeannie is going to continue this series on emotions about holding space for ourselves and others. So don't miss that. And now as you head out, whatever season God has you in, may you know for certain that he is with you and for you and that he loves you with an outrageous love. Have a happy Thanksgiving, everybody.